0: Welcome to the All Things Bright and Beautiful podcast. I'm Jenna DePrima here with my co-host Lydia Shibley, and this is a discussion of life, books, and theology from a confessionally reformed Christian perspective. Welcome back
1: to All Things Bright and Beautiful. Uh, today we're discussing the book, Supremely Wrong, The Injustice of Abortion by Dr. Brent Bowles. And we actually have him here as a guest today. He is a board certified OBGYN and has been practicing for over 20 years. And in addition to Supremely Wrong, he wrote another book um, about questions before you to ask before you have an abortion, co-authored with your wife. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. The yeah. whole title is Should I? Thank things you, yes. to consider abortion.
1: Um, so can you tell us, Dr. Bowles, a little bit about yourself, your family, and the work that you do? Sure.
2: I, um, I graduated from medical school at the University of Louisville 30 years ago. Uh, it was in 1992. Uh, <laughs> seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, and, of course, did the four-year residency in obstetrics and gynecology and have been in practice since then. Uh, Most of that until December of 2020 was in private practice. Uh, First nine years was in a group, and then the last 15 to 16 years was in a solo practice. Um, And then we decided, my wife and I decided, that we had had enough uh, being in solo practice OBGYN, (laughs) and uh, we had wanted to move to Florida for quite some time anyway, so the... Opportunity and the timing to close the practice uh, came about, and we did that. Uh, so, we have lived in Florida now since uh, December of 2020, and I work here as a, an OBGYN hospitalist. Okay. So, I uh, do, you know, hospital based work, don't have an office to run anymore. I just go in, I work, and when I'm not at work, I'm not on call, and it's uh, still lets me do what I love, which is taking care of patients. And uh, it got me out of all of the things that were frustrating or had become about the practice of medicine.
1: And your wife is a nurse as well. Is that right?
2: She is. She was a labor and delivery nurse when I met her. And then she was finishing her, while we dated, she was finishing her master's degree in nursing and became a women's health nurse practitioner. And she did that until our youngest was born. Took some time away from Work, to work at home, <laughs> which being a mom is one of the most demanding <laughs> jobs you can That's have. right. Uh, <laughs> if, if, especially if you do it well, and she did it well. She came back to work to, not clinically, but to manage the office for a while, and then we kind of transitioned out of that, and now we have moved, and she is spending most of her time doing ministry work and Wonderful. things like that, so...
0: So at the time of this recording, there's obviously been huge news. Um, Roe versus Wade was overturned. And so can you just give us kind of a brief summary of what Roe versus Wade meant for America and now what its overturn
2: accomplishes? I am really glad to have the opportunity to discuss this. Um, Roe had been widely regarded by objective observers as one of the worst Supreme mm-hmm. Court decisions in history. Uh probably ranking right up there with Dred Scott uh, in 1857. And there's, there's more than one reason to bring that up, not just that they were similarly awful, uh, but that they were similar in how they ruled. For your listeners who don't know what the Dred Scott case in 1857 was, uh, that is the case that set a Supreme Court precedent declaring that black people weren't really human persons and weren't entitled to rights couldn't uh, appeal to the courts for any help and were good for nothing but to be owned as slaves by white people and that they could be treated as property, uh, that the right of the slave owner to profit from owning slaves so that he could participate in society to the fullest economic advantage that he wanted to, uh, that that right for the slave owner overruled any and all rights that a human being could have if he just happened to have been born black. Uh, that's what the Dred Scott case was. It came about because a slave named Dred Scott and his wife and their children were owned by a white slave owner uh, who initially had them living in a southern state where slavery was legal. But in the 1850s, there were some states where slavery was legal, some states where slavery was illegal, and there were territories which were not yet states, uh, but in which slavery was illegal, and those territories were still governed by the federal government. So Mr. Scott's owner took him and his family to a territory where slavery wasn't legal. So once they were living outside of an area where it was legal, Dred Scott found an attorney that was willing to fight for him. And he sued his owner in court uh, for his freedom because his owner had taken him to an area where slavery wasn't legal. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, in a 7-to-2 decision, ruled that black people weren't really human persons and thus were not entitled to any rights that are given to human persons Mm -hmm. in the Constitution, including the right to pursue a case in court. Uh, They didn't have the right to have Mm -hmm. access to the courts. So they ruled that, um, and the arguments that were presented to the Supreme Court were that white slave owners in the South would be economically disadvantaged and unable to participate in society to the fullest of their desires if they weren't able to own black people and treat them as popular, uh, doing whatever they wished with them. Then most people do know the history after that. That country fought a civil war over the issue. And then even after the civil war and the Emancipation Proclamation signed by President Lincoln, uh, there still was this pesky little Constitution or Supreme Court precedent uh, that said that black people weren't really people. So, our Congress and then a supermajority of the states all agreed and passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments. So, fast forward 116 years from Dred Scott to 1973, where a 7-2 decision of the Supreme Court listened to a case that involved the desired right of a woman to obtain an abortion versus the right of the state to regulate it. And the court didn't even consider the right of the third party involved, the unborn child whose life is
0: blind
2: mm-hmm. in each and every abortion decision. And they listened to the arguments that without abortion, women wouldn't be able to fully participate in society to their greatest degree of economic desire, and they would be Disenfranchised from many other things because of a lack of an ability to have an abortion. So the Supreme Court ruled that they could treat their unborn children like property and dispose of them however they wished. Um, mm-hmm. That's what Roe really did. Roe allowed it up to the end of the first trimester without restrictions. Doe versus Bolton, a decision handed down on the same day, allowed abortion at any point during pregnancy as long as a doctor was willing to state. the woman's health was on the line and then the supreme court went farther and defined health as financial health not just physical health and medical health but emotional financial health family health so basically if a woman anywhere in the country could find a doctor willing to abort her baby and uh, willing to say that she will be emotionally damaged or she'll be financially damaged or her family will be damaged This abortion is important for the health of those things. That is what allows abortion all the way up to Mm -hmm. the due date in the United States. Some states do regulate elective abortion uh, at certain gestational ages, but because of Doe and the health exception, if a doctor is willing to say it impacts her financial health, then she can have an abortion all the way up to the due date, any place in the country uh, where she's found a doctor Mm -hmm. that's willing to do it. Incidentally, you know we're so out of step with mm-hmm. the rest of the world. Uh, the abortophile, the abortophilic lobby would have you believe that uh, we're not mainstream. That all those backwards pro-lifers have kept, you know, women in the dark and in the back room. and All of that. Uh, we're we're so far out of the mainstream in terms of abortion around the world. Uh, there are only seven countries. The U.S. is one of them. Seven, the U.S. and six other countries uh, that will allow abortion after 20 weeks. Uh, Canada is one of them, but two of the other six, two of the other five, are China and North Korea. So our current or uh, the abortion policies that we had in this country prior to the Dobbs decision put us in the same <laughs> fabulous human rights category. China, and North Korea. So people Uh need to think about that a little bit. They need to think about the Uh fact that this Dobbs case, uh, which was based on the Mississippi's 15-week gestational age ban, that a ban at 15 weeks was still much farther along in pregnancy than Uh most countries in Europe. Only recently that France changed their limit from 12 weeks to 14 weeks, and they're other mm-hmm. countries in Europe that still have it at 12 weeks. So if the abortion lobbying had just accepted a 15-week ban, which is still farther mm-hmm. along than the average country in the world, then this case never would have happened, and they could have still Roe mm-hmm. as a precedent and still had access to abortion in mm-hmm. all 50 states. But 15 weeks is enough for them. Uh, we got to have it all the way to the due date. Might as well start calling the due date mm. the die date. So it's that—that's the current status of things. What, what Roe and Doe, and then Casey versus Planned Parenthood from 1992. What those three cases did was prevent any of the 50 states from placing um, an undue burden on the woman who was seeking an abortion. And then they just allowed the distortion of the undue burden standard to include things like, well, you know, these abortion clinics shouldn't have to comply with the same safety and health regulations that legitimate medicine does because the poor abortionist, he can't afford it. So we just have to, uh, we can't place an undue burden on the woman who's going to seek an abortion. So she's got to have access to some guy that won't pay Uh, what it takes to keep his office clean uh, to have her abortion uh, because expecting her to have the right to go to a clean office staffed by fully trained, certified, qualified people uh, where they actually have infection control programs and safety programs and continuing education and all the things that legitimate medicine has to do. that's an undue burden. We can't can't expect abortion to act like legitimate medicine. We could say pass on all the safety things that all other patients Mm -hmm. have the right to expect. That's what Mm -hmm. Luendo and Casey did. They prevented states from regulating, not they didn't just prevent states from saying we as a state have democratically decided that we want Mm -hmm. to protect them from life. We can't protect the women who are seeking an abortion. Um, unscrupulous people that use dirty instruments autoclaves that don't work and who don't even have privileges at a hospital so they can take their patient there if there's a complication and handle it. Uh, that's what Rowan Doe and Casey did. That mm-hmm. was the real status of commission in America mm-hmm. prior to the Dobbs case. What Dobbs case did, and I've read the Dobbs decision the the five justices who voted in the majority the concurring opinion by the Chief Justice, and the uh, dissenting opinion by the three uh, leftists on the court, uh, who predictably just rehashed all the abortion lobby-talking points, and were completely unsuccessful in defending Roe and Doe and Bolton. Uh, No wonder they lost in the private discussions in the chambers. They they had no nothing new. They had no strong case. They just continued to uh, reiterate tired old talking mm-hmm. points that come from the abortion industry. Um, what Alito did in his opinion is really quite well worded, uh, and before anyone, you know, there are so many people who will just declare that you're a liar. And, you don't know what you're talking about you know, you're know, you not even really a doctor you're just faking it they, they like to say things like that without having any evidence whatsoever mm-hmm. or to say that in response to a long list of scientific points that I would make they'll just say oh you're just religious and you're a male and you shouldn't be talking about it anyway rather than come back at the things that we have to say about this with legitimate points that debate the issue they just Attack the speaker, and you know reiterate tired old talking points that have been overruled. So what Alito did was he illustrated why Roe was decided by completely ignoring uh, common law, uh, the the standards, the prevailing opinions about abortion throughout American history, and they grounded a big part of Roe. This is what's so tragically ironic they grounded a huge part of the decision in Roe uh, within the 14th Amendment's protection, process Mm -hmm. protections, that uh, people can't have life or liberty taken away from them without due process. Now, what's tragically ironic about that is the 14th Amendment is part of what was required to overcome the Supreme Court precedent that said black people weren't really people. You know, that... Dred Scott dehumanized an entire class of people because of the color of their skin. Roe dehumanized an entire class of people because of their age. They were alive, they had been conceived, and they were alive, they just hadn't lived long enough to yet be born. So it dehumanized them. And it used the same arguments with the addition of a 14th Amendment defense when the Fourteenth Amendment was designed to overcome that type of decision, it's just—it's a tragic irony that they used that, but they did. And Alito pointed out all the constitutional flaws um, and pointed out how abortion is different from many other issues. There are so many people who are just—you know—trying to whip up waves of hysteria by saying, "Oh, they're coming for your right for birth control next. You won't be able to get birth control." And You can't engage in a same-sex relationship, and you can't engage in an interracial marriage. And they're coming for all these. They're coming for you. You That's the um, that's what they're screaming. Alito specifically addressed that and said this issue is different from those other things because this issue takes Mm -hmm. away the life of a human being. Others don't Mm -hmm. take away anybody's right to life. You know, and he wrote his. He, he put his constitutional reasoning together intentionally and purposefully in a way that doesn't allow the Dobbs um, versus Jackson Women's Health decision to be used as a precedent that then goes and changes the rights to birth control, to same-sex marriage, to interracial marriage. It doesn't affect the never will. Uh, so, again, more fear-monitoring, just like the fear-monitoring about oh, now women with ectopic pregnancies in miscarriages are going to die because they can get an abortion. Never mind the fact that the American College of OBGYN and Planned Parenthood and the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs and notorious abortionist Dr. Jen Gunter and a pro-life OBGYN like me all agree that what you're doing when you treat an ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. It's treatment of an ectopic pregnancy. Uh, but that doesn't stop the people from mindlessly repeating sound bites they hear, using no more brain power than a parrot does when it repeats what it's done, uh, and thinking that that's a good argument. Treatment of an ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. Treatment of a miscarriage is not an abortion. I don't know who needs to hear this, but the fact that the medical term for a miscarriage is spontaneous abortion does not mean that anything involved in caring for a miscarriage is equivalent to what's done in an Mm -hmm. induced abortion. I've had people respond to me on Twitter saying, well, I had a miscarriage, and when I got my paperwork from the hospital, it had the word abortion. Well, yeah, duh, it did, because you had a spontaneous abortion, which is not the same thing as an induced abortion. But no matter how many times you say it, and how many crayons you pull out to I'll illustrate it, there are mm-hmm. some people who are not to it, admit it mm-hmm. because they don't want to get it. They just got talking points to give up people and cause fear. And, uh, mm-hmm. So that's where we are now. What Dobbs did was just overturn the road. Dobbs didn't outlaw abortion anywhere. What Dobbs did, and that's the other thing oh, you're taking away our democracy. No, we're not. Roe took away democracy. Roe said that the people of the states cannot decide for themselves whether or not they want to allow abortion. What Dobbs has done is returned the right to the people in the states through their democratically elected legislators to decide how the people in that state are going to view life and its value. and what will be allowed and what will not be allowed. So this this truly protected the democratic process, which not not surprisingly, the reality is exactly the opposite of what we hear from the abortion industrial complex. This was not to democracy, this was stored the democratic process. So the thing about the constitution, um, I've read it too, you know, people who are listening should read that thing too, it's not that long. There are certain federally protected rights that are called enumerated rights. Like the First Amendment, it's an enumerated right that you have the right to life, to liberty, to the pursuit of happiness, to the right to speak freely as long as it's peaceable, the right to assemble and demonstrate or protest as long as it's peaceable, the right to print what you want, the freedom of the press. So the rights of life and liberty and freedom of speech and freedom of the press, those are all enumerated rights. No state can pass—that means that no state can pass a law that limits those for any person There are other constitutional rights. Uh, The Fourth Amendment protections we have against unreasonable search and seizure. That's our basic right to privacy. No state can pass a law that takes that away from any individual. Uh the Eighth Amendment protections against cruel and unusual punishment. You know, you can't a state decide to use living conscious dismemberment as a method of execution for condemned prisoners, uh, because that's a violation of the Eighth Amendment right against cruel and unusual punishment, which is an enumerated right. What these things mean is just that if the Constitution specifically spells it out, then the states can't change that. But then the Constitution specifically says anything not herein listed as an enumerated right is left Mm -hmm. to the states to decide. That's a 10th Amendment protection for the states. The states, states, Mm -hmm. the sovereignty of the states. The states have the sovereign right to decide certain things democratically within their own borders if it doesn't contradict an enumerated right that people within that state have. Well, guess what? Abortion's not an enumerated right. never was. You know, if the abortion lobby wants it to be, then why don't they get to work passing a constitutional amendment? But they won't do that because they know that there are enough amendments who won't go along with that. Passing a constitutional amendment requires a two-thirds majority in the House and the Senate, requires the president to sign it, and then two-thirds of the states have to ratify it. So... Similarly, unfortunately, it would be very hard to get a constitutional amendment mm -hmm. that protects life passed. So, Dobbs didn't put the abortion debate to bed. It actually just expanded it, and this is what the listeners need to understand. Before um, Before Dobbs, those who support abortion rights, all they had to depend on was the courts, because the courts would strike down practically any law a state would pass regulating abortion. And pro life individuals who wanted a voice, wanted a democratic voice in this process, were often thwarted um, because people in their own legislatures would say, well, you know, we hear you, we'd like to do something about this, but we can't pass something that will be right. stripped down because of road. Guess what? Pro life listeners who have gotten frustrated with Republicans in name only who claim to be pro-life every time they run for re-election but then have never lifted a finger to do anything about it. They don't have Mm -hmm. Roe to hide behind anymore. They can't hide behind. So when you call your local, when you call your state representatives and your state senators and you explain something that you want done, they can't look at you and say, well, we can't do that Mm -hmm. because Roe will overturn it damn hot dog row, so our work just increased in volume, but it also increased mm-hmm. in the potential good mm-hmm. that can be achieved. Even along the lines of if your state, if you can't get enough people in your state to overcome uh, the abortion side of the issue and you know protect life from conception, well, you certainly have the ability to pressure your states to at least protect the women mm-hmm. that seek abortion services. Hold the abortion industry accountable. Mm-hmm. Make them stick to the same standards that everybody mm-hmm. in legitimate medicine does. If they're surgical abortions, their place ought to look mm-hmm. just like a surgery center. Meet the same standards. Mm-hmm. And have the same standards that require the doctors who work there to have admitting mm-hmm. privileges at the local hospital to to take care of their own dead gum complications instead of just up on mm-hmm. somebody else's doorstep. Because that's I have yet to hear of anywhere in the country that an abortionist who has a significant complication actually goes to the hospital mm-hmm. and takes care of it himself. Um, it, that is so rare. Actually, I take that back. I've heard of one case. Almost 30 years ago. That's how long it's been since i heard of an abortionist actually following his patient to the hospital. But the, the kicker there was he um, waited at his abortion clinic and stayed there to do a few more abortions before coming to the hospital to take care of a critically ill patient and somebody else had to take care of her. And before anyone who's listening from the other side jumps up and down and says, he's a liar... He doesn't know that happened. I absolutely know it happened because I'm the doctor mm-hmm. who was stuck on the other end and had to this patient up and fix her uterus and call a general surgeon to come do a colostomy because the abortionist had not only ripped her uterus, open, mm-hmm. he'd torn her colon apart. And he strolled into the operating room as we were finishing up because he took his time getting there because he wanted to stay and kill a few more babies uh, before he came to participate in caring for the person that that he uh, had just injured. So the states, you know, if they don't find the will to completely outlaw it in their states, they certainly now are free to regulate Mm -hmm. the abortion industry because that burden standard Mm -hmm. is not there anymore. You can hide behind it. So that's what Dobbs has done. Uh, Return the issues to the democratic processes in each Individual state, and it allows regulation or restriction uh, with no constitutional protections. So essentially, Alito and the majority uh, studied the issue, looked at prior precedents, and said, you know, this was not decided correctly. There never was a constitutional right to an abortion. And that, you know, that has returned, well, I'd like to say it's returned sanity to the debate, but as we all know, everything's been insane since the decision was announced. Actually, since the decision, the probable decision was leaked. Uh, It's just been so much literal insane. People all Mm -hmm. over the place, throwing around fake blood and demonstrations. And I just don't look at that, I walked by a sidewalk uh, yesterday that I didn't know there were gonna protest there earlier that day until I looked down and saw wet fake blood on the sidewalk uh, and they realized that there had been a protest there earlier that day and it just struck me you know they they think they're making a point for, uh, for their side of the issue but what they're really doing is making our point abortion's mm-hmm. a bloody process and it yeah. sheds blood and, it mm-hmm. sheds blood. and that's the, the other side they like to say oh you're just a bunch of old white men that want to control women and Forced them to gestate these babies, he said. That's forced slavery, and it's wrong. Well, no, slavery's wrong. Dred Scott was wrong, and Roe was wrong, just like Dred Scott was, for the same reasons. So don't talk to me about slavery. And as far as the pro-life movement supposedly being just a bunch of old white men, as an older white man, I am definitely in the minority in the pro-life movement. And the vast majority of well-known pro-life mm-hmm. activists are, guess what? Katanji Brown Jackson, the newest Supreme Court justice, wouldn't know what they are because she says she can't <laughs> find women. Uh, but the women, they are women. Yeah. I would I would guess that a a, a good eighty percent plus of the uh, significantly active pro life individuals mm-hmm. in the movement are women. And when you look at three thousand pregnancy centers mm-hmm. across the country. Uh, that provide services free for women, in spite of being threatened with being firebombed by James Revenge for the crime of giving free diapers to poor pregnant women, more than 90% of those, their executive directors are women. And more than 99% of their paid staff and volunteers are women. To say that the pro-life movement is just men wanting to control women, it is absolutely mm-hmm. not. That is just a on mm-hmm. told by the yeah. other side, it is yeah. simply not the truth. So, um, and then to say that it's about control, that we're just cold and calloused towards the needs of uh, women facing an unplanned pregnancy, uh, they're projecting. But, you know, that's just a common human thing. We, we sometimes project. Uh, they're projecting their own cold, calloused indifference towards the unborn child, they're projecting that onto us uh, as if we really are cold and callous towards the needs of women. We're not. And the pregnancy center movement proves that. You know, if If your listener wants to conduct an experiment, call the local Planned Parenthood and tell them that you're a young mom, has a two-week old mom, your husband just left, you're unemployed, and you don't have any money for diapers and formula, and see what they offer you. And then call the closest pro-life pregnancy center and tell them the same story. See who cares about your born child, and see who cares about you. You know they'll get you in. They'll get your doctors. They'll get your formula. And and in many of them, they will also work very hard with other local ministries and people that they have access to to get you a safe place to live, to help you find a job, to uh, the the amount of work that's done for women in crisis by crisis pregnancy centers is just incalculable. Uh, But what does the abortion industry do for them? Takes their cash and kills their baby and kicks them to the curb. Uh, So there's a vast difference. So to the pro-choice person who's listening to this, um, to try to find ammunition to use against us or quotes, here's a quote for you. We're not like you. We are not like you. We are not cold and calloused and indifferent to the baby or to the mother. And you're cold and calloused and indifferent to both of them. You're not an advocate for women. You're an advocate for abortion. If you were an advocate for women, you would respect their choices. Uh, When they decide they want to reverse the abortion pill process, you would respect that choice and help them. When they come in with a complication after the abortion you've just charged them $1,000 for, you would help them. So don't, don't talk to me about being cold and calloused and indifferent because we're not
1: like you. On that note, that's that's a great quote. Um, man, so much really good information there. The There's a statistic that one in four women yes. have had abortions, roughly, which means it's likely that some of our listeners have at some point in their lives. Do you have words for them directly that you would Absolutely. want to say to them?
2: It was a tragedy that you felt like you had no other choice. Uh, that you had circumstances that required you to make that decision. And I'm sorry to hear that that, you know, is part of your story. But it's also a tragedy that you were misled by the abortion movement, that uh, it's not really a baby, that it will have no impact on your future, that it will increase your risk of mental health problems. And if you're listening to this and you've had an abortion and you don't, you're not struggle, struggling with anything about it, then I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm glad to hear that for you. But if you are, if you are within you know, the very large group of women who have significant regret and may have struggled with that for years, there is help. Um, there is help and healing. The church in America has not always done a good job. Uh, but there are some churches who have gotten on board with really having effective and powerful ministries to post-abortive people. Uh, If you happen to be in a church that does that, seek it out. But if you don't, uh, I know if you're not, I understand how hard it is to just like walk into a church and ask for help. So you have a great alternative. Any of these more than 3,000 pregnancy centers across the country, there is probably not a woman in the United States of America that lives more than an hour away from the closest crisis pregnancy center. The vast majority of them will offer free post-abortive counseling for you. Free counseling provided by people who've been trained in the issue. Uh, Many of the centers that do this use a curriculum called Surrender in the Secret, which was designed by professionals and the women who facilitate those sessions, have to have completed the training process. Um, and one of the requirements to be a surrendering a secret counselor is that you yourself are post-aborted and have had an abortion and understand the issue and the regret that it can cause. So when you are able to talk to someone in a pregnancy center that offers post abortive counseling, uh, take them up on that. It's always going to be free. Uh, it will always be delivered expertly and compassionately. And these these are people who care about you. They're not the abortion lobby who tells you it's all in the head and you shouldn't have any mental health issues after choosing to have an abortion. That's simply not true. The data doesn't support it. Uh, the data, may, talking about the data, may be outside of the scope of our discussion here tonight, but believe me, the data is there that proves there is a mental health component to the struggles mm-hmm. that post the book in the panel. But if someone is listening, um, there's nothing that God won't forgive. Your feeling needs to be with forgiving yourself. And these more than 3,000 centers around the country can help get you started if you don't know where else to go. Um, but don't, don't struggle in silence, The center where I was medical director in Tennessee before moving to Florida, uh, the last session that they did for a group of post-abortive women before I left, had one woman who was in her 70s who had had an abortion in her 20s right after Roe, and she was never able to have any other children, and she struggled her whole life for 50 years with depression and regret and self recrimination and blame and loneliness because she didn't feel like she was worthy of pursuing a relationship with anybody else. So she had spent her entire life lonely, alone, and depressed, all because she got talked into having an abortion. She didn't want to have it. Uh, She didn't want to have it. Uh, She was pressured into having it. So she did. And then the guy left her anyway, and uh, she finally heard about a post-abortive curriculum that would help her, and she finally had the courage to step out and and get some help. Uh, so if you're like that, don't spend your entire life waiting for until you're 70 years old to reach out and ask for help, because there is plenty mm-hmm. of it available. And unlike the services that the abortion industry provides, mm-hmm. which are always for cash, uh, Totally so you
0: say in your book, uh, silence enables abortion to flourish. Science, silence gives it power. Raising your voice takes that power away. And then you give some different, you know, kind of calls to action. And certainly, as you've said, now with Roe versus Wade being overturned, there's even even more work in, in one sense. So, what are ways, just you know, our average listener, what are things that they can do if they say, okay, I want to get involved in this cause. I I want to to help. Uh, what what can they do?
2: First, educate yourself <clears throat> because it's hard to overcome the talking points that are coming mm-hmm. from the other side right now, that women with ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages are going to die, even though the information is widely out there that getting care for miscarriage is not an abortion, getting care for an ectopic is not an abortion. So educate yourself about the topic. Read the mm-hmm. Dom's decision so that you can respond to people when they say, Oh, they took away our constitutional right they decided that you never had it in the first place and here's why Uh, and the only reason you had it was because they decided to treat unborn babies just like they treated black people in the 1850s when they could be owned as slaves and treated as property this said you could treat unborn children as property and dispose of them in ways that are so much more brutal than most slaves ever experienced um you know, it, it's it's estimated that, if I remember the numbers right, there were probably four to six million uh, blacks held as slaves through the course of American history prior to the Civil War. And that's a tragedy. Each and every one of them, the freedom they lost, the freedom that was taken away from them, the way they were treated, the indignities they suffered. We're talking 60-plus million babies mm-hmm. who have been killed. And contrary to what the abortion industry says about not being able to feel pain until you're 20 weeks or 24 weeks or 28 weeks, there's a developmental neurobiologist who's testified before Congress and presented convincing evidence that said the unborn child may feel pain as early as eight weeks. And, I, and that makes sense to me because I can watch an eight-week ultrasound and see the baby moving arms and legs, At 10 weeks, you can see hands and fingers and toes. Um, How do those things move? How does a 10-week baby suck its thumb? Because its brain is connected to its spinal cord, it's connected to the peripheral nerves, and that stimulates muscles and they move. So the baby can do willful things at 8 to 10 weeks. Well, if the nervous system is intact to allow willful movement, how can you even say it's not sufficiently intact to feel pain? you can't. That's the answer. You can't. So, you know, be able to counter those arguments, um, this is a human rights issue. It is not an issue of taking rights mm-hmm. away from women. You know, any so-called right uh, that deprives an innocent person of his or her right to life is not in and of itself a right. Mm-hmm. It's a tyranny. Uh, of the powerful over the weak, of the loud over the voiceless. You have to ask yourself. Your listeners need to kind of work through how to Mm -hmm. discuss this issue. Uh, And a good starting point is the realization that, you know, what is the unborn that's being aborted? Is it a human being or not? Science Mm -hmm. says it's a human being every textbook of embryology used to teach human development to medical school students says that life begins at conception. Uh, There's tons of science that says this. So, you know, women who are pregnant are not carrying a parasite from one species that magically transitions Mm -hmm. into a human being at the point of delivery. It is a human being. You don't become a human being. You are a human being from the moment you were conceived. So, if what, what is the living entity being aborted? If it's not a human being, no justification for abortion is needed. But if it is a human being, no justification mm, yeah. is adequate. Why? Because it is always wrong to intentionally kill mm-hmm. an innocent human being. And since abortion always intentionally kills an innocent mm-hmm. human being, mm-hmm. abortion is wrong. And the only exception to this Even with the difficulties of rape and incest and those kinds of things, you know, the unborn child fathered by an assault uh, is still a human being and is not guilty of Mm -hmm. his father's crimes. Mm -hmm. No matter how difficult it is for the woman who also is a victim, uh, abortion creates a second victim, and in many cases further victimizes Mm -hmm. the woman who was raped about adding to the trauma. So they never talk about that. But anyway, back to what I was saying, um, it's always wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. And since abortion always intentionally kills an innocent human being, abortion is wrong, unless it's to save the life of the mother. And the cases in which that is the case are so exceedingly rare, incredibly rare, that it's not a justification for abortion at will, anytime, for any reason, no apology. And if you want to test out the theory on uh, or the question, do the people who support abortion rights really care about the woman whose life is in danger and do they really care about the rape and incest victim or is it just abortion that they really care about? So you could could pose this hypothetical question to someone uh, if you're debating the issue and they say, well, you don't you know, what about the rape and incest victim? What about the life of another? And you say, Well, statistically, those three things combined are still only about one percent or less of all abortions. But you know what? Let's hypothetically say I give you those and let you have all of those. Will you compromise with me and agree to not do any of the others? And you'll immediately get a backlash for that question, proving but it's not the rape and incest and sick person they care about. It's the overall institution of abortion and they're just happy to use a sick woman or a rape victim or a girl who suffered through incest. They're happy to use them as the rare exceptions to advance their own ideology. You know, if they really cared about incest victims, there's a thing called mandatory reporting that is required in all 50 states, that anyone who is professionally interacting with a child, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or a hospital worker, but not limited to healthcare, could be a daycare worker, could be a teacher or a guidance counselor or a babysitter, um, could be any of those things. Anyone who is interacting with a child and has a suspicion of incest There are mandatory reporting requirements. That suspicion is to be reported to the authorities and allow the professionals to investigate whether or not there was an issue. So I polled, when I was living in Tennessee, I polled five Child Protective Services workers who among them had between 50 and 60 years of combined experience. Now for obvious reasons, none of them wanted to go on the record, but their answer to the question all five of them had investigated allegations of abortion from doctor's offices, from nurses, from hospitals, from schools, from daycare centers. Do you know how many allegations of incest that were reported by an abortion clinic, do you know how many they had investigated in almost 60 years of combined experience? Not a single one. So, either... Incest abortion, incest related abortions are just not mm-hmm. happening, or the abortion industry does not care about the incest victim, mm-hmm. does not comply with mandatory reporting requirements, is happy to take the mm-hmm. perpetrator's cash to kill his child and eliminate the evidence, and then give the poor little girl birth control and send her right back into the home where she was victimized so that she can continue to be victimized but mm-hmm. now won't get pregnant. That's the reality of it. So, I'm um, so completely fed up with hearing about how these, how Dobbs is so awful for people who suffer through incest. Yeah.
1: Do you, for, for answering that question of, um, educate yourself is like educating yourself is one of the best ways that you can sort of, uh, in, live in the post row world and help the pro-life cause. It, I mean, I I would recommend your book to our to our listeners. I think it's really helpful in a lot of a lot of the things that you're talking about, and just um just you're very knowledgeable, sort of across the across the spectrum of moral, legal, and medical perspective. Um, that I think can help bolster a lot of people that because you do we face a lot. You say something pro life, yeah. and you almost immediately will get hit by someone with some counter argument that. We'll, we'll say these things like, "Oh women are going to die from ectopic pregnancies and you kind of you you hear that and and you kind of go that doesn't sound right but i don't i don't know where to go to find out this information Do you have resources you would recommend other books that you'd yes. recommend people read what would you recommend
2: absolutely if you have a real significant interest in the medical facts, check out the publicly available website for the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. The address is org. Um, under the Resources tab, you will find all kinds of scholarly documents with dozens, sometimes hundreds, of citations and references on everything from fetal pain, to what to do with the life of the mother when that's in danger, to um, how Hippocratic medicine really should respect life, to questions about the impact that abortion has on breast cancer risk and mental health and future preterm labor. I mean, there is so much information. There's also a good document on ectopic pregnancy uh, and how treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is treatment of an emergency to save the woman's life. It's not Mm -hmm. an induced abortion. Um, So you can educate yourself by looking there at very emotional, objective, well done academic pieces um, that can really help your case. Uh, As far as other books go, a little less scientific, but definitely valuable. Um, Two of my favorite books uh, that I used earlier in my Uh, time developing as as a pro-life person were a book called The Case for Life by Scott And a a book by Randy Alcorn, who's pretty well known in Christian circles, uh, called um, Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Questions, I believe is the name of his book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of those are very well done and should be in the library of any serious pro-life person. Um, for for a look at the shady underside of the abortion industry um, the true account of Abby Johnson uh, in her book Unplanned uh, really made an impact on me in 2013 when I read it for the first time uh, and then of course seeing the movie in 2019 uh, was just, it floored me uh, I, you know, I'd gotten to the point where that didn't feel as emotionally affected by uh, this issue and just being really looked at it, I think, strongly and objectively and rationally. That one, watching that movie nearly broke me. <laughs> uh, it was so well done. Um, so those, well, that would be three books. Um, Abby Johnson's Unplanned, Randy Alcorn's Her life Answers to Pro-Choice Questions, and Scott Klusendorf's The Case for Life. Another, if you're not able to read a lot, but say you like listening to podcasts while you're driving, um, there's a, a young man named Seth Gruber, uh, G-R-U-B-E-R. Um, Seth has been in the pro-life movement since before he was born, because while his mother was carrying him, she was the executive director of the Pro-Life Medicine Center in California, <clears throat> and now he's a full-time professional speaker uh, and activist as far as the pro-life movement goes. His podcast typically releases a new episode twice a week. Uh, He's been traveling a lot more the last year or so because this issue was ramping up. So some weeks there may only be one posting, but usually there are two new posts a week to his podcast. It's called Unaborted, Uh, U-N-A-B-O-R-T-E-D, Unaborted. Can be found on Apple's iTunes, on Spotify, on Podbean. Uh, and he has a YouTube channel uh, where you can see the uh, see him and see whoever his guests are, actually visually, uh, while you're listening to what they say. But in terms of driving, I don't recommend YouTube if you're listening, you're doing it in your car. So use your phone and Spotify or iTunes. Uh, I've I've tried it on all the different platforms, and I think Spotify is probably the easiest. But iTunes, if you're uh, emotionally connected to Apple, uh, (laughs) it it works pretty well also.
0: And do you have any other books coming out or any any ways that our listeners can keep up with you or follow you?
2: Right now, I've been so busy with, with work and with adjusting to the move to Florida. I haven't done a lot of planning for the next book. I have kind of yeah, yeah. been thinking about it, but I'll, I'll kind of keep that under wraps for right now. <laughs> People who are interested, if they would like to uh, hear what I have to say, can, can get a message to me through Heartbeat International. Uh, you go to heartbeatinternational.org. Uh, there's a way to contact them and just say you'd like to get a message to me about potential speaking or interviewing. Uh, and they will, I'm their medical director. So, we, of course, had a lot going on there, uh, but all good things. Back to what you said, though, what we were talking about, you know, you yeah. asked me what people should do, and I started by saying, educate yourself. And I think if you're a good person with a conscience and you educate yourself, mm-hmm. then you will quickly figure out what else yeah. you need to do with that. Uh, you won't be able to be silent. Um, mm-hmm. You won't be able to sit in that polite crowd and listen to the garbage that comes from ignorant people who are either bigoted against Christians or bigoted against unborn children uh, who are cold and calloused and indifferent to what happens Mm -hmm. to the tiniest of our fellow human beings you'll figure out what you need to do and you'll plug yourself in to whatever would best serve your, your, your particular skill sets will best serve whether that's political activism with your state legislature, uh, whether it's volunteering for truly pro-life people as they run a campaign uh, against people that hate them and don't want them to win, uh, or maybe it's volunteering at a local pregnancy center. Um, maybe it's volunteering to help you know, with meals or supplies or you know, temporary things that a woman in crisis needs. You know, there's and you can you can figure out how to do that through a pregnancy center um maybe you want to join uh one of the uh, ministries like Abby Johnson support a couple of the things that she does she has an amazing ministry called And Then There Were None that is des- mm-hmm. that is designed to assist people who have seen the light as they worked in the abortion industry and come out of it um Everybody from the lowliest receptionist up to some doctors that were doing it, had come through her wow. ministry. And last I heard, she had um, facilitated the exit from the abortion industry mm-hmm. for somewhere wow. between six and seven hundred people, helping, counseling, wow, uh, with therapy, with job training, or you know retraining for something mm-hmm. that you know they can do that would be decent. Uh, so, being in the abortion industry. And then she has another one that I believe is called Love Line, uh, which really strives to meet the needs for individual pregnant women that come into contact with her ministry that need Mm -hmm. help. So there's all kinds of opportunities. Um, Another resource too, I forgot about this one. Um, I'm glad I thought of it before we finished. Uh, So Mm -hmm. many people are so cued into social media. Start following the live action page on Instagram, yeah. Instagram yeah, or wonderful. Twitter or Facebook. Uh, they put mm-hmm. out some really good, really smart stuff that responds very appropriately uh, to some of the mm-hmm. garbage that comes from the other side. Right now they're really slugging it out on the yeah. ectopic and miscarriage issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a Spent about 45 minutes on an Instagram mm-hmm. live with Lila Rose last week. Uh, Great. Seeing those issues, so you can see that uh, on Instagram. But, you know, follow what live yeah. action posts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, yeah. Because that'll that will educate you as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Bowles. It's been very helpful and instructive to talk with you. And and as Lydia said, <clears throat> we will link everything in the show notes. So a lot of the resources that you recommended will all be, be there if you didn't catch them. Um, but uh, yeah, we do just thank you for our time. And, and as we said, this is really, in some ways, the fight is just beginning. And we praise God for this, uh, for Roe being overturned, but there's still a lot of work left to do thank you for joining us today. If you'd like access to more resources, we have a website at allthingspodcast.org. We hope that you'll join us for our next episode.